Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today from the Pan-African Parliament's headquarters in Midrand for the March 2020 sitting of the Permanent Committee is Ms. Jacqueline Amongin, who is a member of the Pan-African Parliament Committee on Agriculture and is a member of Parliament from Uganda for addressing public accounts. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Doctor, and I'm very available to interface. It's such a pleasure to host you on the program and to hear some of the perspectives of, on women from, uh, from Uganda. To begin with, can you please share with us some of the work you do and the responsibilities that, that come with holding your, your position as a member of parliament in Uganda? Okay, I thank you so much and thank you for hosting me on this talk show. I'm very much honored. I, you've just introduced my name, Jacqueline Amongin. I am a member of parliament in Uganda, and I also represent Uganda in the continental parliament, that the Pan-African parliament. And, and I think that's what I do on a daily basis. I joined parliament right away from the university, and I have been a member of parliament since 2006. And my experience has basically been in parliament, I've served in the different committees, including uh, Natural Resources, uh, Committee of Health, Committee of Public Accounts at the national level. And also at the international level, I've chaired the committee of... Uh, I've chaired, I formulated the Pan-African Youth Caucus, which is a caucus which is now recognized as the PA Pan-African Parliament now. And I am now the, I've been chairing Committee of Agriculture, Natural Resources and Environment for the past four years until I handed over last year. And apparently I chaired the Pan-African Parliament Alliance on Sustainable Development Goals. That's the Agenda 2030, which was agreed upon by our leaders or heads of states of the whole world, which is define our modest parenda of operation in our national government. But that's not enough. I also mentor young girls through the foundation that I founded in Uganda called Jacqueline Amongin Development Foundation. And this foundation looks at skills and empowerment of girls to, to achieve their vision and their dreams. I would say I'm a mother and that's also a good job. And yes, that's what I could say, doctor. Thank you for sharing some of the, the work that you're doing, so looking towards the natural resources, the agricultural components, as well as environment. We know that security and ownership of land are very important social and economic vectors. In most countries, constitutionally, women have equal rights to men when it comes to land ownership. But given historical patterns and, and customary law, particularly in agriculture and rural settings where women work the land, the proportion of female landowners is considerably lower than men. Can you tell us what it's like from a Ugandan perspective? Okay, to, to begin with, it's very important to note that the Ugandan constitution takes everyone as equal. Uh, both men and women are constitutionally and legally equal as per the constitution of Uganda. 
but on when it comes to land ownership and rights i'm actually just from a meeting where we've been talking about the land policy and the the women's access to land and this question comes at a time very timely uh in the continent today and in uganda i would say seven percent of women own land despite the fact that the constitution stipulates the the, the the equalness of men to women but because of the the gender parities the patriarchal dominancy and cultural cultural beliefs uh women are not fully engaged in ownership of land although women contribute to the food basket of the nation and of the continent so when we look at the resolutions that were adopted by the heads of states in Rome uh, that in Egypt, in, uh, it was agreed that 30% of land be accorded to women. But the modest parenda on how this land can be accorded to women in our different member states is still very wanting because we have different uh, instruments in place at, at the member state level. And those instruments do not, that do not openly advocate for women's ownership of land. And that's one area that I'm passionate about. Because we're talking about the sustainable development goals of ending hunger, ending poverty by 2030. And we're looking at the majority of those who, who consistently utilize the land being women. And yet they are not able to decide on what comes of, out of that land. It remains a big challenge for Africa. But there are some countries that have made some strides in terms of enabling a land ownership for both men and women, like Cote d'Ivoire and any others. But for the context of Uganda, we believe, in our Uganda's context, it's believed that uh, when a woman gets married, she gets out of that family. And therefore, there is no way she can own land. And when she gets married to another family, it means that she's now a part of the other family. And yet, even in that family, they cannot allow her to own the land, only that she can till the land. So that leaves women at crossroads because assuming there is a case of divorce, it becomes a challenge for a woman because at home she has no land. Where she's married, she doesn't have land. That's why we are calling upon governments to domesticate what they agreed upon during the summit of heads of states to allocate 30% land ownership at every member state level to the vulnerable groups and in this case the women. And you've spoken about policy, you've spoken about international agreements, but we come up time and time again with this issue of of conflict between culture, and you've explained that when a woman leaves her her maiden family to then join her husband's family, that she goes along without land ownership. Besides having policy, how can we start to create greater implementation of, of, of policy and putting it into practice so that a woman isn't left destitute if, for instance, she is divorced? Yes, uh, I want to believe that we have policies as, at the continental level because the instruments that are endorsed by the summit of heads of states, remember these are representatives of 54, 55 countries, I will say, those, those endorsements should be domesticatable. And when they are not domesticatable, they, are, they remain just paperwork. So I, I would expect that at, at the country level, there is need to form legislations that are very fav- favorable 
for all in that country, and including women. And in this particular case, you're right to say that we have policies in place, but how are they being implemented? As parliament, for me as a, a woman activist, and uh, as a gender activist in the Parliament of Uganda and also at the continental level, I am, I am very committed and I'm always referring to the instruments that have been put in place by our, SAMI, by our leaders to ensure that women's rights are, in, are, are, are honored and all rights are honored. Because they, I believe that there is nothing for women without the women. And therefore, this is not exclusive the right to land. And of course, the justification is there in our constitution, Article 21 of the Constitution of Uganda, clearly stipulates that all people are equal before the law. And therefore, equality is in our, in, our, in, our, in our law of the land, and the constitution is our law of the land. So I believe that the, the recommendations that were made at the head, the adoption, the protocol at the heads of state summit, is in tandem with our national laws and therefore calling upon the governments to implement what was agreed upon. Of course, we have challenges. Some of the challenges include cultural differences. Others include religious differences. But that, that does not make us silent in terms of pushing for what is right for all and including women. And with you using that word being silent, it echoes in part the, the African Union's 2020 theme of, of silencing the guns, creating a conducive environment for development. Yes. So reflecting for a moment on the, the, the current sittings at the Pan-African Parliament, which are, have been running this, this past week, what would you say have been some of the key highlights for you, particularly with regard to, to women's empowerment? Are there been key highlights? And I've been particularly following an, a thematic areas of areas where I work on. Although, of course, I chair SDGs, and SDGs is very cross-cutting upon all sectors. But I would say there are highlights that have, we've talked about throughout our session that we need to, when we get back to our parliaments, to ensure that they are brought to the attention of parliaments and also some of them included in our legislation. One of it is... In, in regards to agriculture, uh, our heads of states in Malabo, uh, the, during the Malabo Declaration, agreed on an, a framework called the Comprehensive Agricultural Development Program, whereby all heads of states committed to allocating 10% to agriculture. But as of today, 2020, by 2017, only three countries had tried to reach the, the 10%. That includes Egypt. Uh, Morocco and uh, Ethiopia. But by 2020 today, all of them have dropped. So that means no country has committed as per the uh, declaration that they committed to. So that's one of the highlights. As we, as we silence the gun and creating, and creating a conducive atmosphere for, for development, I think that we, even if we silence the gun, if we are not looking at where our comparative advantage is, as a continent, we will not be at the same pace with the rest of the continent in terms of achieving uh, the, the 2030 Agenda on Sustainable Development Goals and Agenda 2063 of the African Union. And by allocating more resources to land, definitely 
you are addressing the concerns of the majority who till the land, to, I mean allocating to agriculture. You are addressing majority, majority's interests, and that includes also women. So I think that is one of the highlights that we need to take seriously. The other thing that we need to look at is the, the, we've just come from a meeting where we're talking about land rights and policies and also uh, land access and availability for the vulnerable. Uh, we, for us as parliamentarians, we look at the available instruments in place and address, and address the gaps. Now, in this particular case, the available instrument is that there was already a declaration on having 10, at least 30% land ownership by women in the member states. And the frameworks were put in place on how member states can make sure that they achieve this. But to date, a few countries have tried to implement, and a few have, majority have not yet adhered to this. So as a representative of the people in the continent, and also in my own country, I think this is one of the highlights that we need to really, as we celebrate the Women's Day, uh, in Uganda it's celebrated ACE. I know South Africa celebrates on different days. But internationally, this is an area that we need to reckon on as a continent. And of course, when we're talking about silencing the guns, we still have conflict. In the situation of conflicts in the continent, it's not only women also suffer most because sometimes when their husbands are taken off to the to the wars to the to to take up the guns, the women remain suffering with the children with no food on table. So, if we created this the conducive environment, even peace will prevail. So I have. So many highlights, but one of the highlights I also want to make mention of is in regards to the changing climate. Climate change has become a, a big, a global issue, and when you look at the available policies of the, the acts of the national parliament and national member states, you find that out of the 55 member states that we have in the continent, only two have climate change policies. That includes Uganda and Kenya. If we are to tap into resources and do global engagement and, and, and engage globally, we cannot fail to act locally so that we impact globally. So that's one of the highlights. And it has an imperative on the gender, on, on the gender and that includes the, what? the women. So those are the highlights I could talk about as of now. And you're so right when you talk about climate change, that if we've only got two countries on the continent tackling what is a global issue it's it's small it's such a small dent in in a, in a massive uh, context to to try to resolve reflecting for a moment on women in leadership women occupying positions in government and serving as heads of state is significant for a number of reasons uh, for example from demonstrating the empowerment of women in governance Secondly, women in these positions serve as role models for, for other women and young girls growing up to, to try to emulate them. Thirdly, having suitable gender representation is important in, in policy development as well as policy implementation. Plus, given the fact that in most countries, women form a slight majority of the population. As a woman in leadership, can you share your perspectives on this matter? Yeah, I just believe that uh, women will act as role models, uh, especially those women occupying uh, uh, strategic positions, like in parliament, like in the executive, like in 
or the different institutions, if only they serve the interests of the, those who put them there, like I serve the interests of the people who put me in this portfolio, then I will be a role model to many, just like by coming to parliament, I was also seeing other people as my role models. But then my question remains, we might have the numbers or we may have the less numbers, but how effective are those numbers? I will give an example of Uganda. Uganda is one of the countries that has tried to adjust to addressing an SDG talking about uh, empowerment of women. In terms of representation, right from the local level up to the parliament, we have women represented. Almost 30% of our parliament is women. So the question should be, how effective are these women in pursuing women's issues, despite the generalities that, are, that occur in parliament? And in so doing, you find that you become a role model to many because they are seeing you as a champion. I speak today, I'm 35, but I speak as a champion because... I know that there are many other young ladies out there who really see that I'm working for their interests. And in so doing, they, I end up indirectly being their role models. So I think that women holding strategic offices should, uh, should ask, ask, act justfully so that they are able to inspire other young people to, to join some of these strategic positions from what you're saying and this is this is something that we see time and time again people recognize you people see you as a young woman and they see that you're being very capable in the political space so that offers a form of inspiration to help introduce politics to to younger women for them to know that, that this type of option and career is is possible that they can direct change in their country what do you think though that we need to try to build more female leadership, not just necessarily in the political space, but perhaps in business and the civic and, and academic sectors too? Well, I cannot say that I can even tell someone that come to politics, go to business, go to this other sector, no. For me, I believe that once you are providing the right service for the people, you will definitely get to any positions that you, you would like to whether political, whether in private sector, or it's all about service to the people. If you're not able to look at what service you can give to the people, then I know that you will not be able to lead. Because for my instance, I was just addressing the gaps in my village where I grew up with, from. Where, when I was a student at university, I, I happened to be among the few women in that village who had ever reached up to university. And I used to look at my OGs uh, having like seven children and they, they were very young. They were like at 20, 19, 21. I said, no, this is a gap. I need to address this gap. And addressing this gap, I don't need resources. I just need to go and talk to people so that they are able to understand the, the importance of educating both a girl and a boy child and to make them realize that it's all those children are very important. So I started taking university students who were pursuing different disciplines, medicine, law, education, agriculture, to interface with the communities. It became one of the popular programs. And in so doing, I ended up also being elected to parliament. You can just imagine. My interest was to, 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 to change. I, address, I identified the gaps within a small community. 
but in the long run, I'm able to occupy and today I speak as a member of parliament. So my advice to the young people, that it's not just a matter of wanting positions, but you must show that you have the interest to address the gaps within the, the, the people that you want to lead, especially if it is in terms of business. Look at the gaps that you want to address. If it is in terms of politics, what are the gaps that you want to address? If you see that you're able to look, look for alternatives of addressing those gaps, then automatically positions just emerge. That's my perspective. So it's about identifying a gap, providing solutions to close that gap. Yes. And that can happen, as you rightly say, in absolutely every sector, whether it's politics, whether it's business, or, or even the academic sector. Yes, because today people are looking for those who are able to give solutions to their challenges. Whereas people are looking at problems, there must be those who are utilizing those problems to, to, to be opportunity for helping the people. So those are the leaders that we want, and those are the women that we want. A few moments ago, you mentioned that Uganda's got approximately 30% female representation in parliament. When I took a, a recent look at the Interparliamentary Union's statistics on female representation, it really stood out for me that five of our African countries are within the top 20. And often I find that people almost make an incorrect assumption that the state of gender equality regarding female representation in parliament in less development countries is lower than first world countries. But when you look at countries like the USA, they're in 82nd position, the UK, 39th position, Germany, 45th position. And for me, this data makes one question the low representation of women in let's say, countries that are regarded as, as first world entities and sometimes leads to the unfortunate conclusion that the roots of female discrimination in society go beyond wealth and poverty. What is your opinion of this? And do you think that 50-50% representation can ever be achieved? I believe in the positive world and that's where I live. And I know that it can be achieved. We only need the right actors to keep drumming the momentum. And all these processes can be revamped. We need champions at the different levels in the parliament and outside parliament, in the civil society, in the private sector. Because uh, if we have space in the parliament, that is, as a, as, as a lawyer, I know that uh, it is parliament whereby everything is done. Every decision is made in parliament. So parliament is the only place whereby you can do anything apart from turning a man into a woman or a woman into a man. Therefore, that should be the space whereby everyone should be struggling to be because that's the hierarchy where all decisions are made, whether politically, socially, and economically, and they have impact on the, on the general population. So to me, emphasizing women's uh, uh, participation in politics and especially in parliament is very key. In Uganda, we have affirmative action. We have youth, women, youth MPs who are females directly elected by young people. And then in every district of Uganda, we have 117 districts, and every district must, out of the many other slots that are available, have one who must be a woman. And I think that's a good starting point, and that's an example to the rest of the countries. I was today morning talking to my friend from 
Liberia, I mean from Sierra Leone about their parliament, and she's like, they only have five women, in the, seven women in the whole parliament. I mean, a parliament of 127 MPs having only 15 MPs who are women. I said that's incredible. So I think those are the areas, the gaps that we need to address in our continent, continent so that at least there is a gender. But for me, I believe that a 50-50 representation by 2030 or even beyond is possible if we get the right actors to dramatize, to influence policymakers and influence, influence the, 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 the heads of states so that this is adaptable at the national uh, member states. I can hear your gender activism coming through loud and clear. Yes. Today, we're talking to Jacqueline Amongin, who is a member of the Pan-African Parliament, where she serves on the Committee on Agriculture, and she is also a member of Parliament in Uganda. Ms. Amongin, turning for a moment towards a, a personal perspective, you mentioned early in the conversation that you have a development foundation called the Jacqueline Amonging Development Foundation, which focuses on the empowerment of vulnerable groups, particularly women. Can you please tell us more about that initiative on you know, why you started it and how is it progressing? Okay, thank you so much, Doctor, for that question. Uh, like I told you before, when I was a university student, I, I happened to come from a community whereby girls never attained the university, not even secondary education. After you've reached 16 or 18, you're supposed to be married off for your brother to be at school. And that pro for me, I am honored because I was able to, to sustain to go up to university. So when I reached that university, I was always inspired by my grandfather. Now I can transform my own community to change their perspective of thought towards girl child education. So I used to organize university students who are pursuing different courses, especially girls who are pursuing medicine, education, name it. And we would go on holidays to those villages in where my district to dramatize the importance of girl child education. And I would see the appreciation that was coming from communities. And in so doing, uh, to, together as students, we now formed the organization called JADEV, Jacqueline Namongin Development Foundation. And our vision is transforming communities, transforming communities in, in different ways, enabling them to ensure that girls access, have access to education, enrollment and retention at school. And we also do continuous advocacy for girls who drop out of school and they are not allowed to go back because maybe they are pregnant, they got pregnant at school and in our school education system we are not allowed after you've, you've conceived to go back to the same school. So those are the areas we engage in. And we are also engaged in empowering those girls who drop out of school in skills development so that they are not just redundant housewives, but they are able to earn a living for themselves and for also their housewives. House, households, and that is we 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 really focus on empowerment and transformation of a girl child. We do mentorship camps as well, where we mentor young girls. We mentor them from the age of seven, so that they are able to appreciate that when they sustain being in, it doesn't matter the community where they come from. They can be anything because we believe that a tree cannot 
straighten up when it is old. It starts from when it is still what? It's still young. When a tree bends, when it's still young, it cannot change when it has grown. So we are focusing on mentoring the future leaders. And future leaders does not mean necessarily only in politics, but future leaders in their communities, in their families, in their, in their different uh, atmospheres of life. And that's, that's what my foundation does. That's such a noble initiative where girls can be anything that they want to be, that you're giving them that opportunity to start, to start shaping them before it's too late. And yeah. also, I think what's highly valuable is that for those women who have unfortunately fallen pregnant, that they've got a second chance in life. Yeah, they've got a second chance. And what we always do, we get well-wishers. We always push for well-wishers. And I want to call upon you, as you host me to be a well-wisher of the Jadev, Jacqueline Among the Education Foundation, because uh, in so doing, we are able to raise resources to enable these girls get back to school for those who are willing to get back to school and those who are not able to continue with the formal education to go into skills education and they are able to sustain themselves. On that note, what is the website address for the foundation? www.jadef.org And Jadef being J-A-D-E-F J-A-D-E-F Perfect. So we work in areas of education, health, and economic empowerment. Thank you for talking about your foundation. Thank you so much. We touched base on a little bit of your, your personal dynamics, but what I want to go into in a little bit more detail is about some of the factors that you consider have contributed to your success. Okay. Success, I would say... Uh, for politics, I've already given you my, my, my background, that I was a student and I was doing service to the communities. And I always was, I'm always very positive about changing communities' lives. And in so doing, people just told me, hey, you must be our MP next elections. How about that? I was still a student at university and I'm like, okay, why not? If people have said so, I have no option. So I won. I became a member of parliament just like that. But the intention was I was already doing something to change the attitude of the people. And my passion was on education. How can people change their minds so that they are positive towards girl-child education as they are for the boy-child to avoid discrimination? That has always been my driving factor. And I'm making headway because I have achieved that at a bigger way. So my success stories have been much mentored and mentored by the different women I, I watched doing great work. Like the Speaker of our Parliament has been my great inspiration. When I was in primary school, primary two, I used to admire those women. And I was like, one time I need to be a member of Parliament probably and work just like they do. You know, so that has made, led to my success. But success also, I've been watching and looking at the, uh, taking a, 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 a simple space in understanding situations, but most importantly, reading on what is going on in the, in the whole world. That gives you a right view in terms of how you're legislating and how you're able to 
to, to push for the right things in our day-to-day legislation. So maybe that's what I could say. And when you were growing up, can you share with us a, a couple of, of key moments or important moments in your life that you feel have formed who you are today? Yeah, I think that I I want to remember when I was a child. <laughs> when I was a child and then I was three years old and then my dad passed on. But I wouldn't remember my dad now, of course. And then my mom had to opt to remarry to another family. And I remained with my grandfather. We remained, we were like three, four of us. My, me, my sister, and my two brothers. But anyway, uh, we are all doing well now. So my grandfather insisted that I, he must bring us up in the right way. And I, I, be, I, I, I owe all my success to my grandfather and my grandmom because they were very instrumental in our upbringing. And they, made, they always put in us a spirit of working hard, of hard work. And they always insisted that despite other people saying girls should drop out of school and marry, for us at the, at the age of 16, actually our grandfather was even more passionate about our education. And he kept insisting he will do anything to make sure that we complete education. And I think that was a very good inspiration. And that's quite rare if you think of his generation and their typical views of women at the time. Yes. Now, lastly, as we close out our conversation today, could you please share a few words of wisdom or inspiration that you'd like to pass on to women and young girls that are listening to us on the continent today? Uh, I would say uh, to the young girls out there, who are listening to me right now. Just know that success is right in front of you. From wherever you come from, it doesn't matter whether you're in a village setup, it doesn't matter whether you're an orphan, it doesn't matter whether you are you are you 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 are alone. The the the, the success is just right where you are. The thing to do right now, what I would advise is try to do the right things and you will that success will eventually be seen in you and you will find yourself somewhere just like I did I come from a rural community but success was over written within my community within my environment and uh, those days people would think that you can only be successful if you were from a well-off family you're 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 from educated family no Success starts with you, and it starts in your heart. So look at what is that thing that you are able to do at your tender age that can touch the hearts of others. And in so doing, those are the things that will propel you to greater heights. Thank you very much for that message of positivity, of being able to drive change from within and being the change that you want to see. Yes, and Frank Fanon once said that every generation must, out of relative obscurity, discover its historical mission and either fulfill it or betray it. So the mantle is in our hands now as the young people to identify the gaps within us and it's up to us to either to betray what we've seen or fulfill it.
and doesn't matter whether you're a woman you can get there it doesn't matter your gender you can get there if you're determined to get there thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your your insights your perspectives both from a pan african parliamentarian perspective as well as a, a member of the ugandan parliament it's been a pleasure having you on the show thank you so much and i'm honored that you you hosted me on this show we look forward to watching your career go from strength to strength as you yes thank you so much and uh, of course you have a lovely day thank you you have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to Jacqueline Amongin, who is a member of the Pan-African Parliament Committee on Agriculture and also serves as a member of parliament in Uganda. <laughs>